Hello and welcome back to Domino Universe. I'm Curtis. I'm Jesse. And today we're going to be talking about vaccines and the anti-vax movement. Because apparently we live in an age where people oppose vaccines like they did in the 1800s. Sadly, it's true. It's never really gone away. No, it hasn't. Um, so we're going to be talking a little bit about what is going on there and why measles is having a breakout. Uh, but first, we're going to go way back to the very beginning. Um, I guess we could even go back to like as far as what are these viruses, which is like okay millions of years. Yeah. I mean, this is Domino Universe, which is like a in theory slightly thematically based around time yeah absolutely okay let's dive into deep history yeah uh so vaccine <laughs> okay no so viruses have been around like we don't even know how long okay which is kind of interesting they don't leave fossils yeah so when we think about viruses i think a lot of people picture like uh, bacteria or things that are these tiny microbes and that's not quite right yeah um what viruses are are basically these weird snips of dna that are not dna they're rna based mm. they have a they have a different uh genetic makeup and they are able to go into your dna and mess with it so something that i've never completely understood about viruses are they like bare rna all by itself like literally just a molecule or are they in any sort of capsid or is there a structure to them beyond the the helix so i'm also confused about that and i think the reason for that is because there's multiple kinds sure okay um what the there is there are certain types of viruses that look really i want to say cool but that might not be the right word to ah, describe something horrible right looks, like the bacteriophage the bacteriophage looks if you've seen the, the original the matrix hmm um, there's a scene in it where Neo gets this like thing put in his belly button or it comes out of his belly button yeah. and it has like these legs and it's attached to this little pod. I'm not sure if they intentionally did this or not, but it looks just like the bacteriophage, okay. which literally has little legs and lands on its prey, I guess you would say, yeah. and injects it, this DNA or this RNA rather this code into right. it. Um, but the important thing that is different about viruses compared to the rest of the kingdom of life is that they don't follow the same rules. And a lot of people would even argue, a lot of biologists would argue that they're not even alive. Right. Um, like we can metabolize, we can like eat food and get energy from it. And, and viruses can't do that. Yeah. Um, they just rely on their hosts to reproduce their own DNA. They're kind of like raw the raw code. They're very analogous to like a computer virus. It's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting how close that analogy is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like a computer virus, they can wreck all sorts of havoc. Hmm. Um, and it's weird because I, I, I always feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in support of these really horrible things because like, they're just trying to, they're just trying to get by, you know? Sure. <laughs> well, what, their fault. what would happen if all viruses disappeared? Do we rely on viruses the way that we rely on uh, on bacteria? I bet that we do. That's interesting. I bet all life requires some level of viral something or other. You know what I mean? Like, I bet there's a lot of benign or at least um, neutral viruses that are doing something 
important? Well, I know that there's at least a few theories put forward that suggest that a lot of our DNA mm. is just stuff that caught a ride on viruses and made it into our, our sure. code. Yep. Um, so, I mean, we, we carry a lot of that around with us in our bodies at all times and all our cells. So like getting rid of that would make a, some might make some sort of difference. Right. And also like in terms of looking at it ecologically, whenever you remove something from a complex system, yeah, it has all sorts of side effects. Right. I think about, uh, there's a, a few people that have proposed that if we wiped out mosquitoes, it wouldn't matter, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause mosquitoes, I mean, they cause millions, maybe billions, but like millions of deaths a year. They're it's this, huge. the most dangerous animal, which is on the planet to humans in terms of deaths caused by animals. They're orders of magnitude higher than, you know, name what you want. Sharks, lions, donkeys. Yeah. Yeah. And a largely actually that is because of the viruses that's in, well, that's almost that's in almost entirely because of the viruses that's inside of them. Is malaria a virus? Ooh. I think it's a parasite. Malaria is a parasite. Malaria is a parasite. Okay. Um, but anyway, it, it's because it carries these things that are bad for us, not because yeah. the the mosquito bites themselves are so deadly and painful. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, what I was going to say about mosquitoes is that if we removed mosquitoes from the equation, if they somehow just went extinct tomorrow. I mean, there's all sorts of animals that eat on, that feed on mosquitoes sure. and mosquitoes are pollinators for some plants, which is kind of surprising maybe, yep. but, yep. um, and I think the same would be true with viruses. If, if there weren't viruses, uh, afflicting many species, then like there's, there'd be a bunch of species that would just have a huge boom in their populations yep. and there'd be some that would, good point. someone that would maybe would not flourish as well. I don't know. Yeah. So this whole eradicating viral diseases, then maybe we're maybe we're playing with fire. Well, I mean, I think you've convinced me. I'm, <laughs> and that's how the anti-vax movement began. <laughs> no, okay. So anyway, viruses have been around a really, really long time, and yeah. we've been co-evolving with them for a really long time. And what that means is that um, it's an arms race. Like our bodies are trying to compete against viruses so that we can not get affected by them, and they're trying to find ways around those defenses. And that's been happening for a bill, like for billions of years. Yeah. And since viruses are so simple and mainly just a, a clip of, of genetic material, they can evolve very quickly. They don't have to maintain bodily structures and metabolism and, and that sort of thing. They can, they can change uh, a lot faster than we can. Yeah. So back in the 1700s, in 1796, a man named... A man named Edward Jenner uh, came up with this idea for smallpox. Basically, he was like, it was from a cow, I think. Do you know yes. how it worked? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he took, you You, you sound like you know more about this than I do. I, no, I don't want to sound too confident. Um, I sort of know the folktale more than the, than the actual history. But uh, I believe that Edward Jenner was studying smallpox and, uh, and then discovered on milkmaids, people who were, who were milking cows a lot, uh, they had a skin condition that looked similar to smallpox, but it didn't seem to be affecting them too badly. Uh, so he said, what, you know, what are those bumps on your skin? And they said, oh, it's cowpox. You know, we get it from milking the cows. It's no big deal. And through studying this, he realized that people who had cowpox didn't get smallpox, and it's because these two viruses are similar enough that if your body's infected with cowpox, uh, your immune system sort of learns how to deal with that virus. And then when it encounters smallpox, it can use the same 
defenses to eliminate the smallpox virus or, or uh, prevent a, a massive infection. And the cowpox virus just doesn't have as big effect on us. So you can infect someone deliberately with this weakened form of the virus, which in inspires or allows their own immune system to counter it. Uh, and those defenses then apply to a more dangerous strain. Which is really in kind of incredible. Yeah, it really is. It's especially incredible. I mean, if you think about this discovery in context, and this is something that I only learned in like researching for this podcast, that this was in 1796 that he introduced or developed the first vaccine mm -hmm. for smallpox. And we'll tell, I want to talk a little bit about how he did that okay. specifically, because it's a pretty wild story. Okay. Um, but also like, this is before germ theory. This is before Louis Pasteur discovered that there's these things called germs well before we knew even what like viruses physically were. Right. Um, and, and maybe this is because I've been reading the sci-fi series recently called The Expanse. And it talked a bunch about how um, there's this one scene where they're like, we need to, it's kind of, it's a long story. This is book seven, but I'll spare you all the details and get to the point, which is that they find out how to do a thing without knowing why it works. Sure. And the person's like, oh, but can we trust it? Like, we don't know why it works. And the, the other person protagonist is like this that's science that's kind of how science is it really is a lot of the time which is kind of a mess yeah, yeah but, find a correlation try to exploit it figure out the details later yeah exactly yeah um and we're always we're always figuring out the details there's always more details yeah um but so edward jenner and i you you talked a little bit a little bit about how you heard like the mythos of it and I remember a kid's book. It's one of the earliest books that I, I read, but picture book about how vaccines were introduced. And like, it was supposed to be, I think at the time, this like very fun book. Mm -hmm. And it like showed how this guy, this scientist went and like took a diseased or a post diseased cow mm -hmm. flesh, someone, a cow that had had this infliction and, took some of the flesh and like cut open this kid and put it inside of them. Mm -hmm. But this, uh, like this healthy child, you yeah. know, and then he introduced smallpox to the kid. Yeah. Which like would not pass scientific <laughs> ethical standards today. Right. And like in the time it's this like fun picture book. It's like, look how, and like my parents are cool that they like, this was, this was the book that I had growing up. Um, like the history of vaccines, but man, like, that's pretty gory, really. Yeah, it is. And uh, that's, you know, that's the way things were done. Okay, so anyway, that was the very first vaccine, smallpox. Yeah. Um, back in 1796, a long time ago. And I thought that the whole anti-vax movement had only really started like the last 10 years or so. Yeah, the modern anti-vax movement is sort of a like a new take on it or it's had a real resurgence but it's been there from the very beginning yeah apparently the anti-vaccination society of america was founded in 1879 hmm. which is like a century older than i expected yeah um and it's interesting like where do these beliefs uh these dismissals of science come from and where do they like how do they persist and how do they change over time um it's really complicated and also like oddly fascinating. Yeah. 
as someone that has like dived pretty deep into the world of like flat earthers mm-hmm. or the world of um, anti-evolutionists. It's like, man, these, this is an especially interesting one because it has such a direct impact on the livelihoods of the people involved. Right. Um, and also because out of all of the, those belief systems, this is the one that's also asking you to do something to yourself, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, a big hurdling block for a lot of people. Sure. Um, you, you're, I think you're maybe more familiar with the like some of the social context. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the anti-vaccination movement, and I am. Uh, part of a, a team of people that runs a, a social media group that sort of focuses on pro-vaccination, like specifically uh, promoting uh, stories about vaccination, either science stories or news stories, and then addressing the anti-vaccination movement sort of head on and, and talking a little bit about that, which a lot of scientific communication sources like, you know, the Centers for Disease Control, they kind of ignore that side of it for the most part, at least in their in their uh, public communications and they just focus on the science, which I think is probably appropriate uh, for them to do. But uh, but me and a few other folks on uh, on social media have, you know, I'm certainly not the only one. Um, but yeah, so I've been involved in that for a little while. And uh, so the modern anti-vaccination movement started in 1998 with a doctor in England, Andrew Wakefield, who uh, who published a study in The Lancet. Um that correlated uh, vaccination, the the measles, mumps, and rubella, the MMR vaccination with uh, autism. Um, that is still a, a very common belief in the anti-vaccination movement. That was sort of the kernel of it with this 1998 paper published in The Lancet. Uh, not long after that, The Lancet retracted the paper. It turns out not only was it bad science, it was just a hoax. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew Wakefield was uh, was working with some lawyers who were suing vaccination companies. And, uh, and there's some falsified data. There's yeah. some really bad uh, data analysis. This is done on a very small sample size of, of kids. And he also chose which kids in a way that was biased so and there's the, when you said working with lawyers they were actually funding the, that right apparently yeah. that class action or however it was those parents were involved that were the parents that were involved in the lawsuit were funding his research yeah it's just about everything that can go wrong with yeah. a scientific study went wrong there's no blinding there's no controls there's uh, a bias in the in the funding source um so this is just a bad study all around and has been refuted and you know like i say retracted uh, there have been many many studies that uh, that show absolutely no correlation between the vaccine and autism um, on top of that the mechanism that was proposed was the uh thimerosal which is a, a an adjuvant or sort of a uh Oh, what do you call it? A, pres- a preservative uh, that used to be used in the vaccinations and is no longer used. So they've linked it to this this molecule that uh, that just isn't there anymore. Um, so there's nothing to that. It's it's just junk science. But that was the the core of the modern anti-vaccination movement. But really, I think that it, it would have come up regardless of what what started it. It was just like it was a, a movement looking for a catalyst, and it it happened to find one. To summarize that story, though, to make it very clear, there is no link between vaccines and autism. That's yes, that Full is stop. that is an extremely clear uh, and conclusive result that we have proven time and time again. There's yeah. there's a, a 
frequent studies about that 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 reconfirm there is no link in terms of the storytelling aspect of it you mentioned do like having having that sort of angle as opposed to the like rigorous science angle i think that's also like tricky because with vaccines the story is like you get this one little thing and then nothing happens right yeah right yeah so not that dramatic and also the intervention happens to healthy people so you know, people people are afraid of the dentist more than they are of the doctor, I think. I'm not actually sure if that's the case. Um, I trust you it, from it, personal experience. It, that's, yeah, that's a, you know, um, yeah, people are apprehensive about dentists. I feel like a lot of that is because you go to the dentist with healthy teeth and the dentist helps them stay healthy. It's kind of an unpleasant experience for, uh, for a lot of people. Um, but when you go to the doctor, you're often going sick. And the doctor helps you get healthy, even if it's an unpleasant experience, even if there's something pretty dramatic like surgery involved. Um, you're going from a an unwell state to a well state. But with a vaccination, it's completely preventative. So you don't get that that uh, deep feeling of, of uh, the necessity of it. Um, there was a while where I thought about making a video about vaccines mm-hmm. and uh, like trying to figure out how to do that in my style was was really hard mm-hmm. um and i feel like i maybe talked to you about this mm-hmm. <laughs> you're laughing at me it's fair um my idea was like what if i like got vaccinated for something yeah and then i exposed myself to the thing right sure. like what if i like went out and got a vaccine for and before i even say this i obviously i I decided not to do this and I recommend that no one ever do this just because I feel like it's the wrong story to tell. Right. Um, and because it is potentially, it's just not, a, it's just not a good idea. But I was like, what if I expose myself to something that I'm vaccinated for and then like spend time in isolation so that I don't expose others to it while my body is sort of uh, adapting. Um, and you know, like, that's as good of a story as I could come up with to like talk about how vaccines work and like uh, to make a video out of it. But man, mm-hmm. like it's just, it's just really hard to en- engage with people about it and like about the whole vaccines and how they work and what they do and why we need them. Yeah. Um, it's tricky. Yeah. You know, in science communication, there's this, uh, a, a few theories and models of, of science communication, um, why people disbelieve certain scientific uh, principles. Um, and I think the default assumption is what we call the the deficit model, which is just that people don't accept a certain scientific result because they don't have enough information. And if they only knew more about it, they would accept it. A lot of the time, I think that's not the case. And, and uh, the anti-vaccination movement, I think, is a really good example of this. Uh, people have studied the anti-vaccination movement and where these beliefs come from. There are a lot of different surface level sources for it. So there are communities of fundamentalist religious organizations um, really across the board. You know, there are uh, Christian communities, Jewish communities, uh, other religious communities that uh, that refuse vaccinations on religious grounds. Then there are, on the other side of the, the political spectrum, there's the, the really left-wing uh, people who are more into alternative health and, uh, and see vaccinations as a, uh, like a medical industrial complex uh, intervention uh, and refuse them for that reason. Um, the people that associate vaccination with autism tend to be on, on that side, sort of the wealthier left-wing. Um, and then there are people with the religious exceptions on the other side. 
But really, the thing that ties them all together is a overall generic distrust of authority, reliance on on the individual, so like doing your own research and and just sort of knowing what's best for you. Um, and those things we find in lots of different, very diverse communities, and that is what really correlates strongly with the anti-vaccination movement. Um, I saw an interview that uh, Oprah Winfrey did with someone who was an anti-vaxxer, yeah. and that person was saying, oh, you know, my child has autism and I wanted to figure out why, and I like, I googled it. Yeah. And Oprah's response is like, thank God for Google. Yeah. And they're like, thank God for Google. And like, you know, Google is great if you have the base literacy in like science and medicine and you can actually figure the, what out, figure out what it's saying and figure out what is science and what is not. Yeah. But I think for a lot of people, like, you know, they find some article that says that there's an incredibly strong link and this is 100% for sure what the cause is. And that's like not the sort of language you will ever find in a study. Mm-hmm. Well, very, very rarely do you find that that sort of strong case made for something. But like, it sounds great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it's emotionally impactful and uh, and it has that personal resonance mm-hmm. um, that you don't really get when you talk about studies with thousands of participants. Um, so it's, it's really that mindset of thinking individually versus, uh, you know, community. Um, and then distrusting authority, distrusting government versus, uh, you know, thinking that these, the doctors, the center for disease control, those kinds of groups have your best interest in mind. So I'm, I'm kind of rethinking something that I had in my brain earlier this morning, which is that, I mean, you're, you're, so you're talking about how, and you mentioned how it's a, a systematic issue that has its basis in sort of the people's philosophy of the world. Sure. Um, and I had really gone into this thinking like the anti-vax movement is itself a virus mm-hmm. that started with this paper from 1998 that was uh, reject or retracted. And we talked about that. Um, but I was thinking like it started with this person that wrote this fake paper and it spread from there. And like a meme, like Richard Dawkins original style meme. Yep. Um and, you know, it has been bad for society. It's kind of a lot. It's a lot like a virus. But then you're kind of suggesting, and I think that this makes a lot of sense, that the overall conditions have been there a long time. Yeah. And the actual, like, with or without the paper. That's interesting. With or without the paper, it probably would have had a resurgence from other larger factors at play. Well, I say it's sort of, it was a, a movement looking for a catalyst. And that catalyst is important. So I think that that original 1998 paper by Andrew Wakefield is still cited in the anti-vaccination movement all the time. And had it not been for that, we'd probably probably be in a different situation. There may have been another catalyst, but that might have, uh, have changed the conversation quite a bit. So I don't want to downplay the importance of that. Speaking of which, in terms of like, how it spread and in terms of the like false media around it, there were a lot of legitimate news sources that were citing this paper and that were talking about it and giving it, bringing attention to it. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is a good opportunity to stop and say, Hey, whoa, we really need to vaccinate. I'm using air quotes here. People vaccinate our media sources for pseudoscience, right? Like maybe it's now's a good time to say, you know, let's try and, I guess get I want to say get back to a time where we were more rigorous in terms of how we reported things and the sources we used. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's maybe that's a, maybe that's a, a fake history in my biased brain, but 
I don't really know. I suspect that it that it kind of is. Um, I tend to be probably more optimistic than I should be when it comes to these things and sort of see the silver lining in things like the anti-vaccination movement. Um, I, I kind of feel like in a lot of ways, it's a good thing for people to be generally skeptical of authorities. Um, you know, that that comes from a, 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 well, it comes from a useful place in, in some sense. Um, and I feel like in the past, prior to the modern anti-vaccination movement, people weren't, it's not that people understood exactly why vaccinations were important. They're just kind of following the doctor's orders, which in, in a case like this, yeah, you should do. Your doctor's an expert. Uh, they, they tend to know what's best and, uh, and are giving you good advice. But I don't think that it's that people used to be smarter. I think it, it really is this, it, what sources do you trust? Um, and it's not necessarily a bad thing to be skeptical of, of authorities. Uh, if you're going to be skeptical of authority, then you need those extra thinking tools. You really need to understand the science. If you want to do your own research, you've got to know how to do that in a responsible and proper way. Um, but yeah, I don't really think that it's uh, it's that the reporting has gotten significantly worse. Well, but I mean, so I think maybe the reporting from major news sources hasn't gotten worse, but there's also, they're now competing with literally anyone on youtube that's true like, yes i'm just some guy i can post i can say whatever i want you know yeah yeah um, which is I'm what like, we s sorry go ahead it's okay i mean i'm trying to like actually use scientific papers that are legitimate and you know cite real sources but a lot of people i would say the vast majority of people on youtube just say whatever they want yeah right like yeah. and it's it's a the loudest voice wins sort of competition i think yeah. a lot of the time yeah Anyway. So I think that the, the anti-vaccination movement has a lot in common with the Flat Earth movement. Uh, flat Earth is a little bit more extreme. It's uh, not as, as big and um, not as dangerous as the anti-vaccination movement. But I think that they're similar in where they come from, that it's, it's really this distrust of authority, uh, relying on your own research and um, confirmation bias, sort of picking the sources that you already agree with. Uh, more than it is people not having access to proper scientific information. Yeah. In terms of media and outreach and talking about and thinking about things related to vaccines and viruses, we should give our shout out for this episode. All right. Which is Jennifer Gardy, who I think we've both maybe met at some point. Yep. Um, so do you want to... We can introduce her Twitter profile, which is probably maybe the best. She does a lot of things in a lot of different places. She sure does. Um, yeah. She does like she's prof a professor and she is she does TV appearances pretty regularly. Uh, I've seen her on the nature of things. Um, but anyway, her. so if you want to find all of those things, she's on Twitter at Jennifer Gardy, J-E-N-N-I-E-F. Yeah, I can't spell. Can you read that? <laughs> yeah, let me give it a shot. That's J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-G-A-R-D-Y on Twitter. And her Twitter says she's the Deputy Director, Surveillance, Data, and Epidemiology at the Gates Foundation yeah, for malaria. She, she focuses on malaria, which we talked about a little earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's a wonderful human and uh, a good scientist and a good communicator. So go check her out. Yes. Um, yeah, just while we were thinking about it. But yeah, man, the whole vaccine thing is just blowing my mind. I mean, if you've, if you've been following the news, and I don't think this is something we've talked about much today, um, 
over the last really five years or so, there's been a bunch of new outbreaks of things that we thought were basically extinct or eradicated, I should say, yeah. in, in, on the continent. Like measles is, has made a major comeback. Yeah. Um, and you were just mentioning before we started recording about Ebola, which I hadn't heard about. Yeah, so we are currently in uh, in 2019 in the midst of the second biggest Ebola outbreak ever, uh, which is different this time. You know, a few years ago, there was a, a the biggest Ebola outbreak ever, uh, which got quite a lot of media attention. This time, it's not quite as many people infected, um, but the location's a little different. The context is a little different, and it's getting very little media coverage. Um, the other big difference this time is that there is a quite effective Ebola vaccination that's been developed, and uh, a lot of the challenges now are not just, um, you know, people in the affected areas tend to have cultural practices that uh, that are not very good for preventing the, the spread of Ebola. Um, so a lot of the work in any Ebola outbreak is trying to get people to change pretty deeply uh, ingrained cultural practices, which is always difficult. You know, you've got authority figures coming in from the outside trying to change these communities, uh, and now they're introducing vaccinations, and we want to we want to give people in these communities these shots. And uh, there's a lot of distrust, and you know maybe that comes from uh, generally good places right like there's a there's a reason for uh, for people in those communities to be distrustful and uh, and overcoming that is a real a real big challenge it's it's unfortunate it's a tragedy that there is an effective vaccination that's just not being accepted i wonder how much of that could be changed with like just people talking about it more and being more informed. I know you're, I mean, I know we just talked about this deficit model versus other factors, but not just like being educated about, about Ebola and about the specific things, but just a broader, like talking about the measles thing here. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like North Americans have a very poor understanding of basic, like basic biology and medicine, right? Mm -hmm. How much of that can be solved just like how much of the anti-vax thing can be solved just by having a better understanding of how these things work? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's always a combination of factors, right? Like if I say this isn't primarily deficit model. Yeah, absolutely. Educating people on the science is going to have an effect and, and, uh, and is a great thing to do. I think the real important thing is to educate people about the science before they, be, before that distrust of authority becomes ingrained. Cause like, you know, with the flat earth movement, um, once someone is, has sort of bought into the idea that all of these government organizations are simply lying, that the moon landing was a hoax, that all of this stuff is secrets being kept from us. There's no textbook you can show them. There's no photograph that you can show them that will convince them otherwise. Uh, so it's important to get in with the science before the the conspiracy thinking comes in. Yeah, and build trust around that too. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, which I guess is part of why we're, we're here today doing this whole podcast rigmarole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I guess that's probably a good place to stop, actually. Okay. Um, so thank you again for listening. As always, we are Domino Universe. You can find us, whatever you're listening to now, you can find us there and subscribe or really anywhere, Stitcher, Apple. We're, we're all over the place now. Uh, and again, go check out Jen Gardy's Twitter and all of the work that she's doing. And yeah, I'm Curtis. I'm Jesse. We'll catch you next time. Bye.